Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 11. I'm going to start at the 27th verse. This time, let's go before the Lord once again in prayer as we bow our hearts. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, for open and receptive hearts to whatever you want to do in us and through us. But we pray that you be glorified in this service, that you be glorified in and through our lives. We pray that you'll equip us. We pray that we'll leave here better than when we came in, Father. And Lord, I pray for the gift of teaching and to be able to rightly divide your word of truth. I pray for a fresh filling of your spirit and that I would decrease and you increase and be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So again, Mark 11, beginning at the 27th verse, and then we're going to go through chapter 12, verse 12. And the title of tonight's study is Missing Out on the Answer. Missing Out on the Answer. Now, in general, people love when they know the answer to a question that someone else may have. It could even be the answer to a question on the game show. But they're just happy to know the answer. And they may even yell at the TV because they're so excited that they know that answer. And I just love when when I was teaching, whether it was in Sunday school or when I taught in a public school, I just love when when students would be so excited because they knew the answer that they would raise their hands in excitement. And, and as I moved around the classroom or my eyes moved around the classroom, they would move their hands along with my eyes or wherever I went just to make sure that I saw them. But it was so cool. And I really loved it when I saw those students excited because they had studied, they put in the time and they knew the answer to the question. You know, even right now, people find satisfaction in just finding out the answer to a question that they were researching, even though they may not have previously known the answer, but just the fact that they put the time in the research. They put it into the search engine or whatever mode they used in order to find the answer. And when they finally find it, they were so excited and just get that feeling of satisfaction even today. And in our study tonight, we're going to see some Jewish religious leaders ask Jesus a couple of questions. However, they will not get the answer to those questions. But I ask, why is that? How come they won't get at least in this study tonight, the answer to their questions. But we're going to dig into the word of God and we're going to learn the answer to that question that I just posed to you. And of course, we're going to learn some other spiritual nuggets along the way 
that God will have us to learn from these religious leaders and their encounter with Jesus. And so in Mark eleven twenty seven, it says, then they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple or in the courts of the temple or the temple complex, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him. They came to Jesus. And so the scribes are the interpreters and the teachers of the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, the law that God gave to Moses. And the elders are the heads of clans and families in Israel. And so in summary, I just call them the Jewish religious leaders. They came to Jesus in verse 27 and they said to Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? So not only was Jesus walking in the temple complex when the religious leaders approached him, but the scriptures in Matthew 21 and also in Luke chapter 20 tell us that Jesus was also teaching and preaching in the temple, in the courts or the temple complex. And we find out from the study so far that these Jewish religious leaders, they didn't like what Jesus had done. So what did he do previous to this lesson? The scriptures tell us that he cleansed the temple. And by the way, it was the second time he had done that. And so they asked Jesus what authority he had to do that. What authority he had to cleanse the temple. When he went into the temple and he drove out those who bought and sold. And he overturned the tables of the money changers. And he overturned the seats of those who sold doves. And so they wonder, what authority do you have to do those things? And not only that, the other question is, who gave you that authority? And therefore, we, we infer from their questions that they obviously didn't think that Jesus had the authority to do what he had done. And today, I want to submit to you that there's still many people who are appalled by what God does and by what God allows. And that's because they don't recognize God's authority. They don't recognize his sovereignty. The fact that God is sovereign means that he is in control. He is on the throne. and He doesn't need anyone's help to rule. He makes his decisions alone. He doesn't need our permission. He's sovereign. And whatever he does is good. Whatever he does is in love because the scripture says that God is love. Whatever he does, there's a mixture of grace and mercy. Why? Because he is a gracious and merciful God. But yet and still people today just like in this lesson, they don't recognize God's authority. They don't like what he's doing. And as a result, what's going on from that, what's going on from them questioning God's authority? Why is he doing this? 
of course, in a negative way, they're asking these questions. They're indirectly questioning the character of God. But we continue in Mark eleven twenty nine. But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one question. Then answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. And here is Jesus's question. He says, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. In other words, by that question, he's asking them, was the baptism of John or was the ministry of John the Baptist, was it of God? Was God the source of that or was his ministry of human origin? Answer me. And so he agreed to give them the answer to their questions, only if they would answer his question. And so that brings another question to mind, speaking of questions. And the question is, what was John the Baptist's ministry all about? Well, if you turn to Matthew 3 and look at verses 1 through 3, we get a little bit about that. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And you can find that quote in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And so in regard to John the Baptist's ministry and preparing the way of the Lord and making his path straight, this actually hints at a custom in which kings from the east would send their representative ahead of them. And those representatives will will prepare the way for their procession by removing stones and debris out of the way by making those kings' paths smoother cleaner, and of course, easier to travel on. So John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus, the Messiah, or Jesus, the Christ. And in what way was, was he preparing people? In what way was he clearing a path for the Messiah? Well, he was used by God to prepare people's hearts to receive Jesus. And so he wasn't literally walking ahead of him, moving debris and rocks and making his path on the road smoother. But he was doing that to people's hearts by telling them, by preaching repentance. In other words, he's telling them to change their mind about sin, to turn from sin, turn from that purpose you have formed in your mind about sin. Turn away from that. And so that's the message that he preached. And that change of mind, by the way, involves both a turning from sin and also a turning to God. That's the message he preached. Repentance. And of course, as people would repent as a sign of that, they would get baptized in water and he would baptize them in the Jordan River. These people repented, they confessed, they turned from their sins, and and therefore they were ready to receive the Messiah, 
the king as he would step on the scene. And so in that way, John the Baptist was being used by God to make a path ready for the Messiah into people's hearts. And these scriptures that we find in the Bible are very clear that the baptism of John or his ministry was of God. Because it is God who had appointed him, as it tells us in John 1, verses 6 and 7, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, speaking of Jesus, that all through him might believe. And so we see there in the scriptures that the answer is simple. That John the Baptist's ministry was of God and not of men. But we're going to see how these religious leaders will answer. And so we move on to verse 31 in Mark 11, and it says, And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then do you not believe him? But if we say his ministry or the baptism of John is from men, it is of human origin, it says that they feared the people because all counted John or they saw John to have been a prophet indeed or in truth. Luke 20 uh, uh, verse 6 adds this. It says that all the people will stone us. And so that piece of information about their fear of the people is not in Mark, but in Luke. Again, Luke 20 verse 6, we find that. That all the people will stone us if we say that his ministry was of men. And so, yes, John the Baptist was a prophet. And Jesus even acknowledged that in Matthew chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. In fact, Jesus didn't stop there that said, and say just, yeah, he's a prophet. But no, he went beyond that. He says, but he's more than a prophet. And we know why he said that. And I just mentioned it earlier because he also served as the forerunner of the Messiah in his first coming. But the religious leaders had no discernment about John's role as a prophet. The people knew, and they knew the people knew, but they themselves had no discernment. They were not able to pick apart the evidence and see that what John the Baptist was saying is true, or even just knowing about Jesus, that what Jesus is saying is true, and this must be the Christ. This must be the Messiah. These religious leaders, again, had no discernment. So that goes to show us that just because someone is religious or just because someone has a high position or because someone may know the scriptures or be going to church a long time, just because someone is older, just because someone wears the fancy religious garb, it doesn't mean that they have discernment. Doesn't mean that they are surrendering themselves to the Holy Spirit, that they're in the word of God so they know how to make decisions to the point where they know what's what, who's who. Doesn't mean that. But in verse 33, they came up with the answer. And it says, so they answered and said to Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus answered them and said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And so 
we see here that the religious leaders wanted an answer from Jesus. But they were not willing themselves to give him an honest answer. And so we we see something here. We see that they wanted from Jesus what they were unwilling to give. And do we have people like that today? Have we been in that position where we wanted God to do for us, but we were um, unwilling to do for the Lord as far as being obedient to him? For example, we want him to be faithful to us, but some of us don't want to be faithful to him. We want him to give all the time, but we're not willing to give. We, we want attention from him, but we don't want and we're not willing to give him attention. And so for many people, it's take, take, take. But we're not willing to give of ourselves to the Lord. And we see this in the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders at this time. And in Mark 12, the story continues because it says, then he, speaking of Jesus, began to speak to these Jewish religious leaders in parables. He said that a man planted a vineyard and he set a hedge or a fence around it. And it says he dug a place for the wine vat. The wine vat, by the way, is a pit under the wine press. And so this wine vat would receive the juice as the the grapes were smashed. And it also says that this man who planted a vineyard, he built a tower. And then he leased it to vine dressers or farm workers. And he went into a far country. Luke 20 verse 9 tells us he went into the far country for a long time. And now at vintage time in verse 2 of Mark 12, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard from the vine dressers. And Jesus says, and they, they took him and beat him and sent him away empty handed. Again, he sent them another servant and at him they threw stones. And so this, this owner of the vineyard, he's sending servants to receive fruit from his vineyard that he planted, that he put a hedge around, that he built a tower in. But they're beating up his servants, sending them away empty. And again, in verse four, another servant and at him, they threw stones, wounded him in the head and they sent him away shamefully treated. And again, in verse five, this owner sends another and they killed him and many others, beating some and killing some. So this parable, uh, it's, it has various characters in it that we're going to break apart. But normally, a parable has a simple meaning. I guess people can go a little off the board or off the wall when interpreting the parables because they're trying to add all kind of meanings and stuff to every single thing. But really, most of the time, parables have one main meaning. But of course, since it has different characters here and um, 
these, these characters represent different people. We'll break that apart, but we're also going to focus on the one main meaning that it has from here. And that's not going to be hard to get. But a parable, by the way, and a simple definition of it will be an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so we're just looking at a story. So it's not a literal story, but it's going to teach a lesson. And so first I want to point out that the owner or this man who planted this vineyard represents God. And in regard to the tower, this tower was designed as a place of temporary dwelling for the guard. And this guard will watch over the vineyard while the fruit was ripening. And it was his job to keep away thieves and wild beasts. And then the vineyard, by the way, if you look at Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, or if you want to write that down, that represents Israel, the people of Israel. The vine dressers in this parable are Israel's religious leaders. And the fruit of the vineyard that God or this owner was trying to send his servants to collect that vintage time is possibly the, the fruit of repentance, faith, salvation, and or spiritual growth. He's looking for fruit from this nation. And the servants, of course, many of you Bible scholars have guessed it, are the prophets sent from God. They are God's messengers, the spokespeople for God. He gives a message to them. They shared it with the people. And so that's, those are the servants there. And so, so far in this parable, it is showing how God's prophets have been mistreated by Israel's leaders. So far, that's what we can summarize. But then the parable continues in verse 6 of Mark chapter 12. After sending all these servants, it says, therefore, still having one son, his beloved, he also sent him to them last, saying, they will respect my son. But those vine dressers, those, those uh, religious leaders, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And so they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. And so it goes without saying, for those of you who are keeping up with this parable, the son is Jesus. And so notice that he sent Jesus last. And I believe that Jesus is the most important and clearest expression of God the Father. To the point where Jesus would say that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you want to know how the invisible God is, if you want to know what he's like, Jesus says, look at me. You see the Father in me. So he sent all of the other prophets to share the word of God. But Jesus, the word of God himself, the expression of God himself in bodily form is the most is uh, clearest or the clearest, I should say, expression of God, the father. He's as good as it gets. 
And I like what it says in Hebrew 1 because it also supports this. It says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by who? By the prophets. But it has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Through whom? Notice, through Jesus, he also made the worlds. In other words, through Jesus, he made the universe. Jesus, of course, is God. The word with the capital W, it tells us in John chapter 1, tells us that he was in the beginning, that he was with God, him being the word, and that he was God. There was nothing made that was not made by him. And in these last days, he gave the most important and clearest expression of God the Father. And this parable shows that. But it shows that these religious Jews, these vine dressers, they, they didn't even respect his son. They didn't respect Jesus. And Jesus is getting to that. He's, you know, at this point of of the lesson is prophetic because Jesus, of course, didn't go to the cross yet in the study. So again, it's prophetic. And so they plotted to kill him in the parable. And Jesus goes on prophetically to say that these religious leaders are going to have him killed. This is something that he shared with his own disciples more than once. But by the way, this disrespect and this plotting to take down Jesus, to destroy Jesus are not new. Because in Mark 3, 6, earlier in the gospel, according to Mark, it says that the Pharisees got along, got with the Herodians, who they normally wouldn't have got along with. But they got with them to destroy Jesus because he healed somebody on the Sabbath day. And then in Mark, in, in Mark eleven eighteen, it says the scribes and chief priests tries to figure out a way to destroy Jesus. Why? Because he cleansed the temple. And so this disrespect and plotting to destroy Jesus isn't new. But Jesus, through this parable, is showing them, I know what you're, uh, what you're doing. I know what's in your heart. I know what's going to happen. You see, these Jewish Religious leaders at this time, they, they didn't like his influence on the people. In fact, they wanted to be in charge in Israel. Look, take a look at what it says in, in verse 7. But those vine dressers said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. We're going to be the bosses. We're going to be in charge. We're going to be the most influential. And I come to tell you tonight that there's some people even today in this country this state in our community, even in our families, sad to say, even in a church who want to be more influential than Jesus. Mark 12, 9, it says, therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? And he says, he will come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. In Matthew 21, 41 after Jesus asked that question, it says that the chief priests and the elders answered that question about what the owner of the vineyard will do. And the chief priests and elders, and again, in Matthew 21, 41, said to Jesus, they admitted 
he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him, who will give to him the fruits in their seasons. Now, based on the previous information here in this parable, how God sent one servant after another, how he sent one prophet after another. And you can read that in the Old Testament. When we see that, when we really think about it, my goodness, we should be praising God for his mercy and his patience. Although they disrespected his prophets, they beat his prophets, they mistreated his prophets, killed some. God was still patient. He kept sending them messengers to share with them the word of God. But as we see in this parable, there will come a time when the people who reject Jesus will face judgment. And of course, specifically in this case, he was talking about these Jewish religious leaders. In fact, anyone in Israel who would reject him. But that would apply to all people. That yes, he's long-suffering and he's patient with so many people who keep spitting in God's face. And he still give those people breath day after day. Still mercifully allowing them to live and work. Make it from one location to the next safely. Patient with them and yet they spit in his face. But there will come a time that mercy is going to run out and it's going to be judgment time. It's going to be judgment day. But even here in this parable, we also see a hint of the opportunity that he's going to give to the Gentiles to partake of the spiritual blessings that were promised to the Jews. And we can see more of that if you want to read Romans chapter 9 through chapter 11. What you'll see there is Israel's past, present, and future in those chapters. And and you also get to see the fact that the Gentiles, who are branches from the wild olive tree, are grafted into the olive tree and partaking of the blessings that were promised to Israel. And so even here, we see a hint of that, where it says that he will lease his vineyard to other vine dressers, speaking again of Gentiles. So right now, he's not dealing primarily through the nation of Israel. He's not done with them, but they're temporarily set aside. And he's focusing right now on the church. So right now, we are in the church age. So from Pentecost through the rapture, that's the church age. The church age is over. The church age is made up of individual people, Jew or Gentile, who put their faith in Christ. That's the church, the bride of Christ will be taken up to meet Christ in the air at the rapture. Again, that will be the end of the church age. But of course, we know there's a seven-year tribulation period, and people who come to Christ then are what we would call tribulation saints. Then you have the 144,000 Jews will be like 144,000 Billy Grahams sharing the gospel during the tribulation period. But the church, of course, before then will be gone. Church age will be over. We'll be in heaven at that time. But the scriptures tells us, and if you read in Jude, that behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his saints. So after the seven year period, we come back with him and set foot on the earth and rule and reign with him in glorified bodies. That's the word of God tells us. So right now, even Gentiles, we I'm not a at least I'm not aware of 
me being a Jew nationally. I don't know if I'm mixed with it. I did, by the way. But praise God, my family got me one of those tests where I can test my genetics or whatever. So I'll get to see what I'm mixed with because I don't know everything I'm mixed with. All I know, I'm, I got black in me. <laughs> that's, that's one main thing I know. So praise the Lord. Um, so if I find out, I'll share that with people who want to know. If they, I, I'm waiting on the results. <laughs> I could pass it on to my kids. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, so the Gentiles, we're, we're partaking of the spiritual blessing that was promised to the Jews. Again, hinted at in this parable. And so they rejected it. And so God is now focused on, guess what? Whosoever will. And I would say for anybody who's unsaved at this time, whether you're in this building at this point or you're watching or at a later time listening to this message, I would encourage you to take advantage of the opportunity right now to receive Jesus. The door is open for you. The bridge, Jesus Christ is there. We just have to walk over the bridge, Jesus Christ, in faith, and then we'll have that connection to God the Father. We'll be a part of his family, and we can call him Father, and he'll call us children. But in Mark 12, 10, it says, have you not even read, and this Jesus still talking, have you not even read in the scripture, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And that's quoted, of course, from Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23. And I like what it says in, in Matthew 21, verses 43 and 44, because it adds this piece of information. It says, therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And so the chief cornerstone is the most important stone in the building, just to keep it general. And it's important for the proper completion of the building. And these builders, the religious Jews in this context, in that parable, they rejected Jesus. They rejected the chief cornerstone who would go on to be the foundation of the church and the foundation of our lives individually. But there's something in verse 44 that I just can't pass up about Jesus, the stone that is talking about here. Because remember, it says whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him the powder. And so the question I have is, have you fallen on the stone? Have you fallen on Jesus in what? In faith. Have you fallen on Jesus in surrender? And have you fallen on him in repentance? If not, what's going to happen is the stone will fall on you in judgment. And it will grind that person to powder. And they sought after hearing all of that. They thought it was a great idea in verse 12 to lay hands on him. But they feared the multitude. And they feared the multitude because Matthew 21, 46 tell us that they took Jesus to be a prophet. For they knew he had spoken the parable against them. They knew it was all about them. 
but they wanted to kill him anyway. And so they left him and went away. And so by them still wanting to lay hands on him and kill him and destroy him, that just showed that what Jesus said in that parable was true. And it showed that these religious leaders just didn't get it. But what I want to do before we leave tonight is circle back to the beginning of their conversation and their confrontation with Jesus. And again, you can reference Mark eleven twenty seven through 33. Because remember, this, this whole episode began when they asked Jesus about his authority. They asked him where he got it because he cleansed the temple. He was tossing stuff around, tossing stuff out, driving things away. And remember, Jesus agreed to answer their questions if, if they answered his about John the Baptist's ministry. But guess what? As we saw in the lesson, they were trapped between two answers and, and they were aware of the ramifications of answering either way. They knew that if they said that John the Baptist's ministry was from God, then they knew that Jesus would have said, then why didn't you listen to him? And so they would have been proven wrong about John. And remember the fact that they also thought that, well, if we say it's from men, that they would gain enemies. They don't want to be stoned. They don't want to be killed. And remember their answer. We don't know. Now, had they, had, had they answered honestly and correctly about the baptism of John, the source of it, then they would have learned the truth about Jesus. He would have told them, remember that. And so that brings us to the title of tonight's study. That because they didn't answer honestly and correctly about John the Baptist, about his ministry, they missed out on the answer. In other words, they missed out on the truth. And failure to receive truth will block people's view of who Jesus really is. They could have known more about who Jesus really was, about his authority and about who he is. But they didn't answer correctly. They didn't answer honestly. So Jesus didn't tell them. There's even people today who claim to be seeking truth about Jesus. Maybe a Christian goes and approaches them and shares the gospel with them. And the people say, yeah, I'm, I'm a truth seeker. Or maybe those people attend the church service. They say they were a truth seeker. Or maybe they ask a believer for a reason of the hope that is in them because they're truth seekers. But when it's time to give them an answer, they don't want to hear it. Or after giving them the answer, they don't want to hear it. They don't really want to know the truth about Jesus. And maybe like the religious leaders in the text, their emotions get in the way. Their bad attitude get in the way. And like the religious leaders with some people today, maybe it's their pride. You see, the religious leaders, they didn't want to uh, admit that they were wrong about his ministry, John the Baptist's ministry. Because of pride. And people today miss out on the answer. They miss out on the truth because of pride. They don't want to be wrong. 
The Bible says, let God be true, but every man a liar. Even some people today, just like these religious leaders, they have fear about what other people may say or do to them. Well, if I receive this truth and start believing this way, what are my friends going to think? Family's going to think, what are they going to do to me? What am I going to be labeled? But then get this, not knowing the truth about Jesus will prevent a person from giving him the proper place in their life. And so they miss out on the truth, first of all, because of their attitudes and emotions, because of their pride, the fear of man, for example. But this is the result of it, not knowing the truth about Jesus. Of course, they're not going to give him the proper place in their life, not knowing that Jesus is the king of kings, not knowing that Jesus is the Lord of lords, not knowing that the universe was created through him. Not knowing that he's the suffering servant of Isaiah chapter 53. Not knowing that he's the one who loves them and obeyed the will of the father and died on the cross for them and was resurrected for their justification. Not knowing the truth that he's the way, the truth and the life. Not knowing the truth that he is perfect, that he's fully God and fully man. And they don't know these things, that he is God in the flesh, that he's the word made flesh. How will they ever give him the proper place in their lives? They'll just see him as an opponent instead of as the most important part or the cornerstone of their lives because they don't know the truth about him. And so I encourage you, if you don't know Christ, to fall on him in faith. And yes, be broken. Be broken of what, Pastor Durrell? Be broken of pride. Be broken of your stubbornness. Be broken of the old you. Oh, we need to be broken of those things. And so we need to fall upon Christ in faith instead of having the stone or the rock fall upon us and crush us in judgment. You see, if the religious leaders would have recognized John the Baptist's ministry as being from God, if they would have listened to his message and repented, they, they would have been ready for Jesus. They wouldn't have been going against them because that pathway to their hearts would have been ready. That all those stones, so to speak, would have been removed out the way because they would have turned from their sins and would have been open to God. And so they would have been in a right relationship with them. But those religious leaders were opposed to him. And so with the story of many people today who refuse to fall on the stone and be broken of their pride. And as believers, we need to be reminded of who he is. And we, too, need to put him in the proper place in our lives. And so as believers, we, we can't get away from tonight's study because we could allow him to get out of place in our lives as well. And so we need, to, we need to fix that. We need to get that back in order, just like the song said tonight. And I'm coming back to the heart of worship where it's all about you, Jesus. And, and again, like I mentioned earlier, may that be the prayer of ours in 2021 as we see this country falling apart. We need to get back to Jesus and stop putting our hope in man. Amen. Stop putting our hope and our trust in ourselves. But guess what? Not giving Jesus the proper place in our lives. You see, this is a trickle-down effect. Because not giving him the proper place in our lives will affect us in the way we live. Let me ask you this for 
For those of you right now where Jesus is not in the proper place, if he's not number one in your life right now, how's your thought life? How's your speech life? How's your prayer life? How is your behavior at this time? You see the trickle down effect. As the worship team comes to the stage. You see these days people are confused. These days people are upset. People are frustrated. People are afraid. Living in fear at this time. There are people right now who are looking for answers. Key word tonight, they're looking for answers that will give them peace. Answers that will give them hope. And know that peace and hope is not in the president. That that peace and that hope or that answer is not in the entertainment industry. It's not in social media. It's not from someone of the opposite sex that maybe you're married to or courting at this time. The answer is not in that. It's not in money. It's not in the higher position at work. It is not in more degrees educationally. No, people are looking for these answers. Where is the peace? Where is the hope? And so that exhortation that I have for you is found in 1 Peter 3.15. Because as Christians, people may not ask us what these religious leaders ask Jesus. They may not ask, where did you get your authority from? They may not ask you, you know, why are you doing these things? They may not ask us how much authority do you have or what authority you have, whatever the case may be. But as believers, they, they may ask us a reason for the hope that is in us. And 1 Peter 3.15 says, but sanctify the Lord in your hearts. In other words, set Christ apart or regard Jesus as holy in your hearts. Or to keep in line with the study, give Jesus the proper place in your heart. And always be ready to give a defense. For those of us who have read the King James Version, it says, always be ready to give an answer. Which is a reason, statement, or argument for what? Or, or to whom? To everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you and do it with the attitude of meekness or gentleness and do it with an attitude of fear or respect. So in 2021 and and beyond, as we see the confusion, we see the anger, we see the frustration, we see people looking for answers and they want to know how do they get peace? How can things be fixed in their lives? They want to know a source of hope. What will we tell them? Will we tell them about Jesus? Will we tell them about the cornerstone? Will we tell them about the God who's able to walk on water? who's able to walk over every trial, over every tough circumstance? Are we 
going to tell them about the same Jesus who healed the sick, who, who healed the blind, who is able to cast out demons. And so he has power over nature. He has power over spirits. He is greater than angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the prophets. Will we tell them about that Jesus who loves them and who died for their sins when they ask us for a reason of the hope that is in us? Will we just say simply, Jesus? Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that you do provide answers in your word. We thank you that if we're looking for truth, all we have to do is look at you. The scriptures tell us that Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? But then he walked away. Lord, help us to not walk away from truth. It may be uncomfortable for some. It may be comfortable at times for all of us, but give us soft hearts to receive truth. Help us to know you better through your son, Jesus Help us to love you more, Lord, with every part of our being, with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. And help us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Help us, Lord, to be ready to give a defense, to give an answer of the hope that is in us. To be able to give people reasons for that hope. It's all about you, Lord. So I pray for these people in their room, for the people who are watching, who are frustrated and they're angry and they're sad and they're moping right now, Father. They're discouraged right now. I pray that you would lift it and you would reignite their faith. You would remind them of that hope that they have in Christ, that, that this is not our home, that we are pilgrims. But while we are here, Father, use us to be light and salt. Remind your people of this, Father. And not fall into the trap of hopelessness that the world has. If people claim to be our enemies, Lord, help us to love them. We can't do it on our own, Father. It's hard if we try to do it on our own. So, Lord, I also pray, Lord, that as the people leave this place and not your presence, that you bless them with traveling grace on the way back home and that you use them. In a mighty way this week. Use them in a mighty way in 2021 and beyond, Father. And so while we keep our hand to the gospel, on the gospel plow, help us, Lord, with our hearts and our minds to, to still await and to expect your coming for your bride. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.